Duncan. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this interview for the September 2022 edition of the Thinking Working Politically Community Practice Newsletter. Let me start by introducing you briefly for the benefit of our audience, though you may need no introduction. Duncan Green has been working on international development for decades, and he's a household name for many of us involved in this field and trying to understand how change happens and why. Duncan is currently Senior Strategic Advisor for Oxfam GB, and he's also Professor in Practice at the LSE. And as many of you will know, he writes and curates the From Poverty to Power blog, which encourages us to think and challenge ourselves on all sorts of issues related to international development, including TWP, on a daily basis. So Duncan, we are delighted that you are here with us to have this conversation. And we wanted to ask you a little bit about the Global Executive Leadership Initiative, or GELI, training program on influencing for senior leaders that you have been involved in with others over the past year. Can you tell us a little bit about this GELI course? How does it come about and why? And how might it be different from more traditional or standard training programs? Thanks, Elena, and um, thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here and uh, supporting the TWP community of practice, which I think is a fantastic initiative. Um, GELI, as we call it, the Global Executive Leadership Initiative, uh, is a course uh, aimed at strengthening leadership skills in the aid sector. Um, and the, I, I run a little sub bit of it, which is on influencing, um, which is basically putting TWP into practice. Um, and what we do is we work with cohorts of 25 senior leaders in the aid sector uh, at a time, um, taken more or less equally from the UN, NGOs, and the Red Cross, Red Crescent uh, uh, communities. We bring them together. And that's the first thing that's interesting about Geli, because normally those people are trained in their organizations. But we have a, a, a deliberate effort to build a collective approach to understanding change and bringing about change through influencing. Um, and what, when we interviewed some, uh, some sort of legends uh, about this influencing idea, one of them summed it up by saying, well, you know, you get to a senior position in aid organizations, often by being good at tents and blankets. And then suddenly someone is asking you to stop the Saudis bombing Yemen. And that's a bit of a leap in terms of skill sets. So what we try and do is provide them with some simple tools, um, some uh, uh, effective ways to understand a problem, think about and, and, a, and get to a strategy which they can use on the run because they're all super busy. So there's no point in asking people to do PhDs. It's all about sort of heuristics, rules of thumb, things that they can, uh, case studies they can use to, for ideas and to help them just improve the quality of their work. So who was the driving force behind getting this course together? Um, you mentioned that you have people from the UN, uh, the Red Cross. Um, you also have um, other NGOs. Where does that impetus come from? I think, well, the impetus comes from, I think, a, a great uh, a general recognition, which I've seen very strongly in the NGO sector, but I think more generally, that um, it's not enough to run a nice program, a nice project that, you know, Aid organizations, if they want to achieve impact at scale, need to have influence on the wider system. They need to affect public policy. They need to affect uh, social behaviors, social norms. And all of these things are can, can be done 
but they require a different skill set, as that Yemen example says shows, and that and we think we've got some useful experiences to share, some some uh, ideas to bring into the room, and a way to get people in the room sharing their own experiences. Because we worked out that you know in each of these cohorts of twenty five participants, we have about five hundred years of experience working in the aid sector, much of it in this influencing space. So you just need to tap into that. You don't need to bring in lots of new stuff. You need to get people exchanging ideas and experiences, and then it gets it really takes off. And how do you come up with those 25 people? Do they apply for the course, or do you hand-select them, or, or how does that work? It's sort of a combination. So um, people can apply, but we also go out, especially to try and keep this spread between UN, NGOs, and Red Cross, Red Crescent. We actively seek a balance. And within NGOs, we, or we want international and national NGOs, for example. So we do go out and seek that. And that is all run by the Geli team in Geneva. Luckily, I don't have to do that bit. Um, and they try and get a, a, a senior level and a, and a diverse spread of organizations and, and backgrounds. And they've done very well on the first three, I must say. So you were saying that you actually are trying to showcase and I guess, harness some of the experience that you have collected in the room with your participants. How do you uh, shape the content of the, of the course and how, how intensive is it? How do you involve the participants? Well, so what we realize is that, you know, when, when people are this busy, these are people who are, you know, um, UN resident coordinators or um, NGO country directors, you know, they have a, a, the life of, from hell in terms of the number of emails and the number of meetings and the pressures on them. So what we do is get, get them away from that context for a four-day face-to-face. Um, and that enables them to uh, take a deep breath, to reflect, to meet the other members of their cohort, the 25 people, uh, to build a kind of camaraderie and to get a bit of momentum going. And in, the, in those four days, we present the sort of basic ideas of the course. We get them talking to each other. And then we have a kind of, celebratory but also very useful simulation game in, in an, a crisis in an imaginary country called Gelia on the last day. Um, and then that, that energy carries over into four weeks of online uh, modules where they uh, do a combination of reading, listening to podcasts, watching videos, and uh, one, one webinar per, per module. And they have some, uh, there's some resources for coaching because a lot of these people, what, you know, what they really value is a chance just to talk about the, the, the challenges they face in their countries, in their contexts. And so they can pick anyone from our team and just say, I want an hour with you on Tuesday and we, and we fix the time and then just go and, and talk through the, how we can help and any ideas that might be useful. You were saying something really important about the kind of different skill set that might be needed um, for influencing. So can you tell us a little bit about how you get to that. And in particular, I'm interested in, in getting a sense from you, you know, you gave the, the Yemen example. How do you address sort of politics and political dynamics and power? Is that, is that something that is integrated into the course or how do you go about uh, doing that? Alina, you'll be pleased to hear that politics <laughs> and power are at the center of everything. Okay? <laughs> I don't believe it. What? I've never heard that. <laughs> 
Um, The the first session, which I do, is on um, how how do you analyze the context, right? And we start off with this famous quote from Einstein, if I I had an hour to to, to save the world, I would spend 49 minutes understanding the problem, uh, 59 minutes understanding the problem, and one minute finding the solution. And so we do a, a good session on problem analysis, how do you drill down into a problem to find things which are amenable to action? And then how do you understand the power and politics around those potential actions using some simple stakeholder mapping and power analysis and political economy analysis and things which the TWP, we have a lot of TWP documents, don't worry, on our, <laughs> on our website. Um, uh, and then the, the interesting bit for me is how do you then bridge from that to a strategy? How do you get from there to saying, okay, so we've done all this analysis, so what are the three or four things we've identified which might make sense as, a, as an influencing strategy? How do we flesh them out, test them, try them out, and maybe chuck them away if they're not working or expand them if they go well? And that, I think, is, for, for me, a bit the missing piece, which I've been working on in the last, yeah, last few weeks, just to try and... Because what you... Yeah, otherwise, what you get is talking a lot about the context and politics matters and power matters. And then people just go back to do what they would do anyway. So it's how do you actually become more intentional and more informed in your action based on all these insights into thinking and working politically. It's the working politically bit as well as the thinking politically bit. So as part of the course, do you then sort of exhort people to work differently and then see how that goes after the course is finished or or have you not thought that far yet? No, no. So some of the people um, are already doing that. So, you know, I have one, uh, I won't name her or her country, but, you know, she's a UN person who's trying to get violence against children, uh, taken more seriously in the country where she works. And we've had one-to-ones thinking about stakeholder mapping, identifying the role of traditional chiefs, um, she's got a very good connection with the first lady in her country who she's persuaded to lead the campaign. And we're talking about the language to use around this issue, what will alienate, what will actually resonate in that particular context. So and there's lots, quite a few examples already surfacing of people using the ideas because this is what they do. You know, in many ways, what happens is people go, oh, well, that's kind of what I'm doing anyway, but I've never had a way to describe it or explain it to my team because these are mainly leaders. So this enables them to, to sort of systematize what they're doing and bring in other people into working in the same way. So instead of relying on people to learn by experience, painful experience for 30 years and then do it like this, there's just kind of a shortcut because there are some things that you can do which will get you there quicker. Yeah, so I guess I wanted to ask you about that. So these, these are all things that resonate, even if, if the language might be different the substance of this is very real, it sounds like, from people's experiences, and they sort of have their own way of reading their context and understanding. Yeah, and the difference, I mean, so I've taught this at master's level, and what I realized after the first of our pilots in Amman is that what I thought was participation um, and participatory methods, which we're very committed to, um, wasn't good enough for these guys. So, you know, with master's students, you produce a case study, you produce quite a sort of elaborate structure for people and then say, so follow these rules and, and get, get going. With the people we've got in the room, you just say, power, it can be hidden, it can be visible. What's your experience? And then they're off, right? They've got so yeah. much in there. So it's a, you have to really 
not try and orchestrate. You have to be much more uh, uh, expansive and permissive, and then you get great conversations. Mm. And you nudge things towards, you know, in certain directions, but you can't be nearly as directive uh, if, you, if you want to get good participation. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned that you've done three pilots so far in Amman, Nairobi, and Dakar. Can you tell me a little bit about how those went and what have been sort of eureka moments, either for you or for participants, that you thought, ah, something, the, pen, the penny is really dropping here or something is illuminating? Yeah. So some of them were, um, th that first one I mentioned about, um, uh, about being much more permissive uh, in terms of the style. Um, yeah, the best one. Yeah, some of the best sessions are where we just sit in a sit in a circle. We have somebody introducing a topic, and then we just freestyle it. Yeah, which is and it works every time. Mm -hmm. um, we initially had a big structure with a, a learning management system, an online platform, lots of emails, and actually, it turns out no one reads their emails. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, what we've now moved toward is a system of tutorials are personal tutors mm. and whatsapp and that is apparently the way to deal with senior leaders right so so they feel a kind of personal connection you've got three mm. or four people who connect with me or with somebody else in the team and i send them whatsapp saying how's it going and you get much better response rates than if they get these kind of you know robo emails every week yeah. so we're doing that um uh the the thing i wasn't sure about because it's not something i've ever done before is a simulation and it rocks it's amazing so this one day where people are in character we take them out of their comfort zone so an ngo person is suddenly the government of gelia and uh, a, a government a, a un person is suddenly a kind of youth movement uh, and they have to stay enrolled <laughs> during during lunch and lobby each other and send a, and tweet and uh, it it reinforces the what we've been studying over the four days but they also have huge fun and everybody says that's the best bit yeah they love the love the simulation the final thing i think i've i thought was true and i definitely now believe is true defend the coffee breaks okay <laughs> that's, it. that's it conference mistake is oh if somebody's speaking too long we'll just take 15 minutes instead of 20 we do not do that we actually take longer coffee breaks rather than shorter ones And everybody says the networking is the most useful bit. So we, we defend those coffee breaks brutally um, uh, and it works. That's actually interesting. So does this mean that these are in-person trainings that you have been doing? These four days are face-to-face, -face, which is also, I mean, it's if you're doing a face-to-face -face meeting these days, you start off with an enormous buzz because people are so excited about being in a room. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Do you think it, will, it would work as well virtually or you really do need to have the people in the room and build the the sort of trust and the and the relationships in place i i it wouldn't work near if you try and do it virtually people will be on their emails people will be uh too busy they'll be you know, drawn off on calls that happens anyway but to a lesser extent and you can't go out for a meal in the evening go to the beach or you know all that other side of things so especially for this first few days where you're bonding essentially It's really important that it's face-to-face. -face. So what's next on the horizon? I believe there's a region that I haven't heard from, which is Latin America. Are yeah, you heading so there? So um, we've got Panama, Bangkok. That's another region you haven't heard of. Oh, yes. And uh, second visit to Nairobi, all in September. So we're currently rejigging some of the materials in light of what we've learned and the feedback we've had. Not major, diff not major changes, but some minor you know, tweaks. Um, 
then we want to see where it goes. I mean, I think what we've got at the moment is proof of concept. So we yeah. think the structure, the methodology, you know, uh, the other thing I didn't mention on methodology is that we try and stick to roughly 20% teaching and 80% participation. You know, that that's and that's quite hard to keep to because we all think we you know, are great and need to lecture more, but we try and keep that down. <laughs> Uh, so we so we think we've got a really good methodology, good proof of concept. We think it works, and we also think it's quite adaptable. You know, I think what we're interested in now is adapting to new audiences, and uh, it doesn't have to be UN, NGO, and uh, uh, Red Cross, Red Crescent. We think we could do this with private sector, with governments. You know, I mean, we want to. We're interested in developing this. So, if any of your listeners want to discuss potential channels for this. And we're having lots of conversations with people already uh, in different bits of the uh, parts of the world and different parts of the uh, development sector. Then just get in touch. We're, we're keen to talk. Okay, brilliant. Duncan, thank you so much. And Joe Panama. I certainly um, will. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. 